Hi, my name is Anne McKenzie. The Old Testament reading is found in Psalm 90, 1 through 6, in verse 12. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. You return mankind to the dust, saying, Return, descendants of Adam. For in your sight, a thousand years are like yesterday that passes by, like a few hours of the night. You end their lives, they sleep. They are like grass that grows in the morning. In the morning, it sprouts and grows. By evening, it withers and dries up. Teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. The Lord of the Word. The Word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Mary. The New Testament reading is found in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. Train yourselves for a holy life. While physical training has some value, training in holy living is useful for everything. It has promise for this life now and for the life to come. This saying is reliable and deserves complete acceptance. We work and struggle for this. Our hope is set on the living God, who is the savior of all people, especially those who believe. Command these things, teach them. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Instead, set an example for the believers through your speech, behavior, love, faith, and being sexually pure. Until I arrive, Pay attention to public reading, preaching, and teaching. Don't neglect the spiritual gift in you that was given through prophecy when the elders laid hands on you. Practice these things and live by them so that your progress will be visible to all. Focus on working on your own development and on what you teach. If you do this, you will save yourselves and those who hear you. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Tom. Thank you for standing for the reading of the gospel found in John 15, verses 4 through 5. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The gospel of the Lord. Let's remain standing as we pray. So, Father, we thank you for who you are, and we pray now that as we listen to your word, that you would speak to us, that you would teach us, that you would change us by the power of your Holy Spirit into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name, and everybody said, amen. You may be seated. Amen. Well, we're in week two of a short three-week series that we're Uh, engaging in to begin the new year, to kick off this new year, and it's called Essentials. And so we're talking about the the essential practices uh, that help us keep in step with Jesus, that help us follow Jesus. As some of you may be familiar with the message 
paraphrase of that famous saying where Jesus says, come on, take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. In the message paraphrase, it says, walk with me. Keep in step with me. I'll teach you the unforced rhythms of grace. And so there's practices that we're talking about that help us keep in step with Jesus, that help us walk with Jesus, follow Jesus, stay close to Jesus. And I want you to know with each one of the things that we talk about, that Jesus reminds us that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Now this is important because we have this illusion as 21st century Westerners that we think that if we just, we don't need to follow anybody else's way, we don't need to take on anybody else's yoke, we'll just follow our own way, we'll just follow our heart. We'll just be true to ourselves. We'll live a life that is authentic to our own definition of authenticity. But I think it's important to recognize that actually that's impossible. That all of us in one way or another have taken on somebody else's yoke. All of us in one way or another. If you say, I'm being authentic, you're actually defining your definition of authenticity is influenced by the culture around you. It's influenced by the world around you. And so there's aspects of who you are that you don't want to show, and there's aspects of who you are that you make sure to show. All of this stuff is dictated by the people and the community that we belong in. So there's no escaping a yoke. All of us will carry a yoke of something, a, a, a way of guiding us, a, a path that, that we run along. Whether we're conscious of it or not, we're all living under something. The question is, is that yoke life-giving? Is that yoke actually the yoke that leads to life? And so there is only one master who has your ultimate good at heart. There is only one master who laid down his own life that you might live. His name is Jesus. So we might as well give up any illusions of saying, well, I, I just want to be free. I just want to do everything that I want to do because nobody actually lives that way. I mean, think about the yoke of following yourself and your own sense of what's truly you. I mean, what, how are you supposed to discern that? So you wake up in the morning, you're like, is it more me to do this job or that job and all of the angst we have about our work? Or is it more truly me if I could do this or if I only didn't have this and if I didn't have this? And we imagine that the ideal life is a life where nobody constrains or restrains you. And then you're left with the tyranny of yourself. And it turns out you're not such a good master either. That your whims change, your ideas of what's good and what's bad change also. And so in the end, the goal is not to escape restraint, but to find the constraints that are actually life-giving. Does that make sense? And this is why the psalmist says in Psalm 119, my heart runs freely in the path of your commands. There are commands, there is a path that actually leads to life. And so this series is about finding that. And last week, we talked about the essential story of Scripture. What is the big story of Scripture? If you missed it last week on our New Life Downtown Facebook page, we posted a little 15-minute uh, excerpt about the Bible as a drama in five acts. It's well worth your time to just kind of watch that if you can't deal with the whole podcast, and I understand if you can't. Um, but it might at least help you in your Bible reading. Now today, we're going to talk about some of the other goals that we set for our lives. Now, if you're willing to show this by a show of hands, how many of you made goals for the new year? Maybe you didn't call them resolutions, but you made goals, just some goals, small goals, big goals, spiritual goals, weight loss goals, financial goals, keep them up. That's great. Well done. 
And if you didn't, that's fine too. <laughs> um, now, I won't ask you to raise your hands on this one, but how many of you have already fallen behind on your goals? Don't raise your hands. Okay? It's January 14th, and I have already fallen behind on my goals. I had three days a week on the treadmill kind of goals. There's been zero days in the whole year so far. I'm conf- this is confession, right? And so very often our goals are, we're discouraged because we fall short right away. And so we're like, ah, oh, we just didn't do that. We, uh, I don't know if we should give up the whole thing. Or maybe some of you said, I'm going to read a book a week, something crazy like that. We're two weeks in, you're like, ah, I've only read half a book. I can't do this. And I want to talk to us about a different way of keeping time. And the first thing I want to say is that our goals should not just be things to do, but actually rhythms to practice. Not just things to do, but rhythms to practice. In other words, and this is beyond a Christian thing, this, if you talk to a lot of people in different areas of, of work or expertise, they'll say, look, goal setting is not just about things to do. I want to accomplish, check, 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 because what happens if you check the box on all of that, then do you just stop all of a sudden, right? And even people who help us with health and exercise, as I'm preaching to myself, they say, look, don't just have a goal of, of losing X amount of pounds, have a goal about changing your lifestyle, that you're going to be the kind of person that eats this way and exercises this way. If you talk to pro athletes, they'll say, I, I was just listening to sports radio this week where they say, They tell college basketball players, every practice, stay after practice and just spend 10 minutes shooting. Just take 10 extra minutes and just work on your jump shot. And over time, the amount of extra hours you will have put in if you just did that is, 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 is incredible. And furthermore, you're not starting from zero. You're actually building on the previous practices 10, 10 minutes and on and on. It goes. And so very often people will say, look, it's not just about things to do, but rhythms to practice. Writers, if you're a writer, what's one of the most basic advice that the real pros give us about writing? They say, start writing. Writers write. Writers don't wait for the cabin in the mountains and the birds chirping in my lovely cup of tea. Writers just sit down and write 30 minutes a day. Just write. Sometimes they'll say, I don't even know what I'm going to walk away with. And this is why, actually, I've talked to a lot of writers, songwriters, book writers. They'll say, I don't even have word count goals because you might fall short of word count goals. I just have a time limit. I'm going to sit down for an hour every morning, and I'm going to write. I don't know what's going to come from it, but I'm going to write. This is the rhythms that we practice. And actually, Christians do something quite a bit like this. We learn to embrace a certain kind of rhythm. Christians keep time differently. Our whole concept of how we mark the clock is a little bit differently. Not that we don't use seconds or minutes or hours. I don't mean that. I just mean we have these rhythms that help us keep track. If last week was about the story, this week's about the time, Christians mark time differently. There's at least two ways that Christians mark time differently. We have macro rhythms, big picture rhythms, known as the church calendar. And this is why we have this seasons-long thing of saying, okay, we've come out of Advent and then Christmas and then Epiphany when Jesus, they recognize that Jesus is king, the one to be worshipped. The light has shone upon their hearts. And then very soon here we'll have this long season of Lent, of humility and repentance, and then Easter, and then Pentecost. We mark macro rhythms around the life of Christ, right? But then there's, there's 
micro rhythms, which is really what I want us to talk about today, the rule of life. There are many kinds of micro rhythms. There's Sabbath keeping. Uh, there's all kinds of different things we can talk about, but I think the rule of life is a good way of uh, putting an umbrella over all of those micro rhythms. So if we were to kind of say something about each of these, we'd say it this way. The church calendar is a way of keeping us centered on Christ and connected to the body of Christ. The reason we change the linens and change the colors and kind of mark the seasons, it's a way of saying, look, we're marking time centered on the life of Christ. We're tracking through the life of Christ. We're thinking about Jesus, but it's also a way of connecting us to the body of Christ. I get a kick out of it when my non-denominational friends um, start a 21-day prayer and fasting thing to kick off the year. I mean, I think it's wonderful. Prayer and fasting is a wonderful way to start the year. But I get a kick out of it because they all think they started this. You know, this like hashtag seek first or hashtag whatever. And it's like, wow, you, you invented this amazing prayer and fasting movement. And I want to say to them, actually about, you know, 1,200 years or so ago, Christians had this 40-day fast period called Lent. And millions of Christians around the world still do this. And they don't even use hashtags. It's amazing. I mean, how do they do that? And so there's something about realizing that, that Christians all around the world are keeping time in the same way. And so we, we're kind of in on the secret together. But the rule of life is a little bit different. The rule of life is a pattern of practices that help us to pay attention to and participate in the Holy Spirit's work. Now, leave that up there for a second. When you hear the, rule, or the word rule, do you start twitching? And it's really a misleading word because the word rule comes from the, the Latin word regula. And regula is like a standard, okay, regulation, right? But actually, there's something deeper to that. It's, it's at its heart, it's a pattern. Now, we have four kids and our youngest is five, and over the last year or so, she's been practicing her letters. But guess how she practices her letters? <laughs> By tracing over letters, right? How did we all learn to write? Odds are, all of us in this room learned to write by tracing a pattern. I mean, what if your kid at three or four years old or whatever was like, I don't need rules, man. I don't need patterns. Mom, I got this. I'm just going to look into my heart. And whatever my heart says a bee looks like, I'm going to draw that. And that's cute for a while. I mean, yeah, it's like, oh, it's adorable. It's but after a while, you're like, okay, seriously now, trace this letter. <laughs> this is what a bee looks like. I mean, enough of that, right? Authenticity only goes so far. We need to learn these things. This is actually the word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 11 when he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. The imagery of that language is saying, I am tracing my life around the pattern of the life of Christ. I want to invite you to trace along. Do this. This is the indent. This is the mark. Trace your life around the pattern of the life of Christ. So a rule of life is really a pattern of practices that help us to pay attention to and participate in the Holy Spirit's work. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're like, Glenn, you just said the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't need patterns. The Holy Spirit is like the wind, Jesus said, right? Why, why do we need to know all of this stuff? Can't we just, wherever the wind blows, I'll go. Isn't it amazing that the Holy Spirit, 
the spirit who breathed life into creation breathed the world with predictable patterns. All of the story of Genesis is the story of God. We said this last week, ordering the world with a certain kind of pattern and sequence. First there's evening and then there's morning. And then, this is the, the, the seasons and all of this stuff. Why? I don't exactly know except that maybe there's something to this. That the wildness of the Spirit's work nevertheless leads us into Patterns of practices. Do this over and over again. And then when you look at what Paul says to young Timothy, I mean, imagine Paul, the mentor. If you're thinking, if only I had a mentor in my life. I know, and it's great to have living flesh and blood mentors and a whole constellation of mentors instead of one North Star. All of that's great. But here's the Apostle Paul offering his best mentorship advice to young Timothy. If you're saying, what would the great Apostle Paul say to me right now in my young stage of life? Well, this is what he says. Train yourself for a holy life. Now, I want you, I've underlined and bolded a few of these verbs. I'd like you to do the same if you can in your Bibles because I want you to catch how strong these words are. Train yourself for a holy life. While physical training has some value, training in holy living is useful for everything. Everything. Woo! It has promise for this life now and the life to come. This saying is reliable and deserves complete acceptance. You're like, wow, okay. We work and struggle. So we've got train, we've got work, we've got struggle. You're like, oh dear. <laughs> oh dear. Our hope is set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Command these things. Teach them. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. And then he goes on. He says, instead, set an example for the believers through your speech and behavior. Love, faith, by being sexually pure. Until I arrive, pay attention to public reading, preaching, and teaching. And then here, it really starts to intensify. Don't neglect the spiritual gift that was given in, in you through prophecy when the elders laid hands on you. Practice these things and live by them so that your progress will be visible to all. I mean, did you even know that verse was in the Bible? So that your progress will be visible to all. I mean, what a statement. This is not Paul saying some kind of easy believism like, well, well T Timothy, you believe in Jesus, so I mean, everything else is just extra credit, really. Timothy, you're going to heaven. Thank God you're going to heaven. Timothy, do I need to say it again? You're going to heaven. So, I mean, who cares, right? Just whatever, bro. Chill out. Make it so that your progress will be visible to all. Wow. And then he goes on, and he says, focus on working on your development and on what you teach. And if you do this, you'll save yourself and those who hear you. What would the great apostle Paul say to us who are trying, who would like him to mentor us? Paul, mentor me. He says, okay, train, work, struggle, command, teach, pay attention, don't neglect, practice, focus, set an example was another one he said earlier. You're like, wow, 10 different ways of saying this is going to require some effort. This is going to require some participation. One of my favorite stories that N.C. Wright tells as an example of this is what was called the miracle on the Hudson. Do you remember this? Did you see the movie, Sully? 
Every, and the next day, the papers called it the miracle on the Hudson, the, the, the pilot who saved the day. But when you look into the backstory of who Sully was, you realize he was, <laughs> he learned to fly a glider in, in his teenage years, was at the Air Force Academy, was one of the youngest students to be allowed into their official glider program, then was a glider instructor, then was a fighter pilot. You think that taught him anything about dealing with stressful situations? And then after being a fighter pilot, starts flying these commercial planes. And yet we don't like that narrative. We don't like the narrative that a person has been practicing good habits for his entire life. And so when the moment of crisis came, he was ready. Oh, that, no, that, that's not very appealing. And so we just call it a miracle. It's the miracle on the Hudson. On the Hudson. A miracle? Okay. It was a miracle. But what if miracles are different than what we think? What if miracles are not God overriding our habits? What if miracles are God teaching us to form new habits? What if miracles are not God overriding our bad habits and saying, all my life I've been just been, you know, just watching whatever I want to watch, waking up when I want to wake up, going to bed when I want to go to bed, just doing, just living the free life. And then when the moment of temptation comes, you're like, oh God, why didn't you save me from that sin and that disaster? And he's like, do you really think I'm going to override the habits you've been, you spent a lifetime cultivating? What if a miracle is not God overriding our habits, but God helping us form new ones? What if a miracle is God really, the miracle of spiritual growth is about God teaching us to live in a new way? And that's why Paul can say to young Timothy, you better train yourself. You better focus. You better work. You better struggle. You better lay the groundwork for this so that your progress will be evident to all. Because listen, Timothy, this stuff doesn't happen automatically. And then elsewhere, Paul will say, I worked harder than all of you, yet not I, but the grace of God in me. And so somehow you're like, well, is it God or is it you? That's the miracle. That's the miracle is that somehow we're giving ourselves to these practices and these patterns and then over time we're like, I don't really know how this all happened. It's the Lord, but, but, but kind of me, but not actually me, but the grace of God at work in me. And, and the miracle is we don't really know where to draw that line. It gets all fuzzy, but that's fine. You look up one day and you're living, you're tracing your life according to a totally different pattern. Does that make sense? You've traced your life according to a different pattern. So that's what the rule of life is. So... Once again, the rule of life is a pattern of practices that helps us to pay attention to and participate in the Holy Spirit's work. I want to show you a picture of this, and then I want to invite a couple people up here. This is one example. That if, if, you're, if you've read different books on spiritual practices, there's many different iterations of this. This is the one that I found to be simplest and clearest, and just sort of like, okay, I can, I can, I can kind of catch this. And so there's four boxes here. One says prayer, one says rest, one says relationships, one says work. I'll be honest with you, several years ago when I first encountered this, three or four years ago, um, the, the, the box that I realized I was missing was relationships. And maybe you're like me. You know, you, you're all about finding practices that help you pray and practices that help you rest and even practices that help you work. But you're like, time with people, what's that? How indulgent. <laughs> That's what I thought. I mean, my whole life. I mean, I was the kid, you know, at college that everybody else was out on a Friday night, and I actually did the humanities reading that was assigned. 
And they're like, we're going to a movie. You want to come? I'm like, dude, I got like 50 pages of European history I'm supposed to read. And they're like, nobody reads that. I'm like, I will read that. <laughs> and so I realized I had, no, I had nothing in here about the intentionality of relationships, okay? But let me just give you a question for each of these boxes. This is from my friend Rich Velotis, who's spoken here. He, he, he um, lives in Queens, pastors a church in Queens, New York. He and his, uh, the founding pastor of that church, Pete Scazzaro, came up with this particular iteration of it. When you're asking a question about the prayer box, ask, what are the spiritual disciplines you need to anchor you in a life with God? What are the spiritual disciplines you need to anchor you in a life with God? Rest. What are the practices of self-care that you need in this season of life to support you on your journey. And it could, listen, a lot of this is where the, the working out stuff comes in. I know a lot of people say, well, I have to, part of my self-care is I've got to be able to get some exercise. I've got to be able to do this, you know. Rest isn't like couch napping only, only, only. It is that, but not only. Relationships, what core relationships do you need in this season of life to support you on your journey? What core relationships do you need in this season of your life to support you? Are you hanging out with the right community? Are they headed in the destiny? Or is this the Psalm 1 thing? Don't sit in the seat of my, you know, stand in the way of all, all that stuff. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. Work. What are the gifts, passions, burdens within that God wants you to express for the blessing of others? This is the outward facing part. This is the vocation. I've got this gift. I've got this passion. I've got this burden. Well, God didn't give it to you for your own sake. He gave it to you for the sake of the world. So how does that need to be expressed? In what way? Okay, now I want to invite up here to just kind of help us put some, uh, put some, uh, some fullness and fill out the picture a little bit. I want to invite my wife, Holly. Uh, give her a hand, everybody. You need the mic. So uh, Holly is actually the one that has taught this material before uh, and probably should have been up here earlier, uh, but has taught the, uh, led groups with the emotionally healthy spirituality stuff. Holly got her master's in counseling uh, some years ago, like a lot of years ago, 14 years ago maybe, that's a long time. Uh, here, let's turn that on. And uh, so I want her to share a little bit about that. And I also want to invite up Lori Duncan. So Lori, give Lori a hand. Lori is a recent grad from Denver Seminary, and it was there that Lori learned a lot of these historical practices, including developing a rule of life. Uh, Lori has joined our team on a part-time basis. She helps with the, the, keep the worship team kind of coordinated and running and all of that. Lori, why don't you start? What does, um, what does a rule of life look like for you? Yeah, it's on. The green light's on, so we should. Well, let's see. Yeah, so hang on one second. Ready? There it is. There it is. Uh, When I first heard the term rule of life, it scared me too because it sounds so rigid, but it's really not. So for me, a rule looks kind of like bowling bumpers in a bowling lane. Um, The first time I ever bowled, I scored an eight. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for keeping the vulnerability going. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was young, but not that young. (laughs) I just have a wicked hook when I release the ball. And so uh, 
Do you know how not fun it is to go bowling when you know you're going to score an eight? <laughs> not fun at all. So the bumpers make a difference. And so the rule for me is like those bumpers. It keeps me in the lane. There's room to meander a little bit back and forth. One of my teachers said, you do the practices and you keep your rule as you can, not as you can't. So if you put, you know, I'm going to do a thousand sit-ups every day, and then you find I can't do a thousand sit-ups every day, you can adjust it. It's not rigid, and it's not considered failure if you have to adjust it. It's a learning process. Let me pause right there because I know you wanted to jump in on that, just the idea of people not hitting their rule, and then we'll come back to you about... Sure. Yeah, it was just, we were actually even talking about this this morning a little bit, but I think for, at least for me, and maybe for many of us here, we, you know, might start, you know, whether we call it a goal or a rhythm, and we do it for a week. Maybe it's, okay, this year I'm going to do, you know, read the Bible every day for 10 or 15 minutes, and then something happens in life. I think that's what happens with a lot of us, like whether it's sickness or a crisis or holidays or birthdays, wonderful things, <laughs> celebrations, but all those things can derail us and get us out of our habits. I was talking to a friend this week who'd had a major mouth surgery, and that kind of derailed her from all of um, this exercise um, routine that she'd put in place. And so, but I think about what are our options? You know, we can say, well, I'm derailed, I'm, I've fallen, and so I just quit and never think about doing this again, or we get back up again. And I think I've thought in previous years that this would change about life, that maybe someday when <laughs> my kids were a little older, or I think I believe certain Still myths about like, someday, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm realizing as I move on in life that that. It, there, there's never the best time or the ideal time, but the now is right. always the best time to, to try for the first time or to restart again. That's great. Okay, back to you, Lori. Okay. Thanks for that in, in a little back and forth. <laughs> sure. Um, so, yeah, the, my rule ends up being like those bumpers on the bowling lane that keep me from falling into the spiritual gutter, you know, and uh, actually help me move toward the goal of knocking something down. So anyway. <laughs> it's, a, it's a loose metaphor. Yeah, yeah. loose. Yeah, very loose, very loose. Um, but also for me, all the practices, I keep an awareness in my mind that they're rooted in the ridiculous, incessant love of God, just like in the picture. The, the love of God is in the center. And so uh, love corrects, but love doesn't beat over the head and shame and, you know, guilt you if, if you do happen to miss a day or something along those lines. So it's the love of God that everything is rooted. And for me personally, the way that I'm made, um, engagement, contemplative engagement with prayer and scripture tends to be the, the foundation or the, the font, if you will, from which all my other practices kind of flow and, and are developed. So you want to say a bit about that? So what does that practice look like for you, what that contemplative The contemplative, well, I mean, yeah. a lot of people have heard the term Lexio Divina, so I do some of that in Scripture. Just reading um, the Bible out loud, letting yourself hear its words. Right, contemplating them, praying them, that kind of thing. Although with me it tends to be a big reading and then a big dollop of all the rest. It's not mm. <laughs> real defined, but that's okay because it's mm. life-giving. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, so then from there, and spending that time in prayer with God and sitting in the Word, how am I being led uh, to engage with community or engage with people or um, along, along those lines, kind mm. of. So whatever other practices. And if I'm uh, sitting in, the, in Scripture and something comes along about Sabbath 
and that Sabbath was created for us, not the other way around, well, okay, maybe I need to look at Sabbath, depending on how that hits me. Am I getting enough rest? Am I treating myself right? Mm. Uh, so, so would you say, Lori, that when you, even when you fill this out, it's like, uh, it's a fluid thing that you're, oh, you're kind of recalibrating as you go. I'll use the you're whole You're one lane. of those artsy <laughs> musician types, though, aren't you? Ish. Or, ish. Okay. Ish. Hi hybrid. You're a yeah, yeah. hybrid artist. Okay. Cool. So, yeah. Cool. Holly, what about for you? I mean, we, you know, I know we have four kids, and, uh, and there's a lot of people here that you're thinking, this, this, is, this is nice. I mean, this is a pipe dream, but maybe someday. So how do you, I mean, what's, what's the, what do we, how do we think about this? What does this look like for you with kids in the home? Well, I'll say that it's a little bit easier now that my kids are between 12 and 5 than it was when we first, I guess we first started. I was trying to think maybe about four years ago was the first time. So I think I started out being very optimistic about all the things that I could put in it and I had huge lists. So I wouldn't <laughs> recommend starting that way if you want to try for the first time. Um, but with really small children, I think what I was able to be consistent in was maybe a couple things under each category. And there were many days when I didn't you know, get those things accomplished, but we'd try again. Um, so I think because my kids are a little bit older now, it's, it's slightly easier. It's more realistic that I can have this, you know, time with, um, in Bible reading and prayer, mostly daily. Um, for me, I love reading all kinds of things so I can easily get distracted by, oh, I really want to read this or that. Um, so I, I attempt to, you know, have this constant Bible reading in the morning, but I've decided, okay, if I don't get that accomplished for whatever reason, I'm going to do it at night, so maybe you can have a backup plan if <laughs> what you attempted to do Build first. in some buffers, yeah. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to do that at night. Like, we're, we just this year decided to do the Immerse um, Bible, which I think we'll be talking about um, in church here in a little while, but um, it's a Bible without um, markers and... No um, verses, no, no verses, chapters. No chapters. So. Um, and so it reads more like literature, so Glenn and I and our older girls are doing that together and hope to talk about it weekly, but... You know, I've done it most days, and there are days where I've missed already, and so, but we keep going with it. Um, Do you want to say any other parts of the rule? Do you, you want to talk? Yeah, I mean, both of you have I mentioned the prayer box, which, <laughs> what's that? I probably have way too much to Well, just about, pick, a, pick yeah. one or two other um, boxes to comment on. The I think to add to what Lori said about kind of revisiting and going in and out, I've, when we started, we would we would put these things down and revisit after a year, which is probably too long. I think by then you're like, oh, I haven't even thought about that one piece of this that I never did that fell off. Um, <laughs> so now we've kind of moved to doing, revisiting this about um, every six months. And I would even say maybe every few months really would, but yeah. you know, not to bite off more than you can chew when you start, but just seasons change and ebb and flow. And I think when I start for the new year, I'll ask myself, okay, Lord, what are you, what are you saying to me and calling me to in this season? What sorts of practices are you giving me that would shape and form me into the person that you want me to be? Mm -hmm. um, as far as relationships go, I think these can be relationships that you want to pour into or ones that um, you need, you, know, you feel that will encourage you. Um, I think for me, I think if I don't be intentional about those relationships, they don't tend to happen. Maybe some of you are more spontaneous, but I've, I've tried that. It hasn't worked for me when I say, yeah, I'll probably try to get together with this person, you know, once a month or one, you know, it just, usually it just never happens because there's so much of life that fills in. So for me, what has been helpful is to, you know, if it's a friend that I think I really want to get together with this person, you know, once or twice a month, I have to be intentional and schedule it because if I'm not intentional, I just 
respond. Isn't it easy for all of us to just respond to whatever comes our way um, instead of being intentional about what we feel God has called us to? Of course, there's a place for that, but for me, I can easily not do any of the things I hope to do if I don't. Let's pause put there it in. for a minute and let Lori. I'm, I'm curious, Lori. I mean, I, um, you know, for you, you're living by yourself now. How does how do you integrate community into this rule of life? You because some of the criticism of this stuff is, oh, this is just sort of the Christian version of navel gazing. You know, you're just just introspective all the time. And how do you make sure that uh, this is a community thing? Well, for one, I can't find my navel. Um, yeah no for me um, I do live by myself uh, and that's okay Um, the idea that that you've mentioned here before about our our life with God our relationship with God is personal but not private and so all of the all of the practices can have a bearing on a community life and uh, when I was in seminary, I did one semester of a practice, generosity of spirit, generosity of heart, and just to purposefully, with an awareness of Christ, uh, give people the benefit of the doubt, if you will. And uh, what he spoke to me when I did that was the first person I had to exercise that on was myself. Uh, as selfish as that sounds, um, it made a huge difference because I could be pretty self-critical. And I found that as I started to be more gracious to myself, I naturally started being more gracious Mm. to everyone that I ran into. Mm. And so even a practice like that, if it sounds very selfish, ends up bearing fruit Mm. to to the community. And so it's a little bit, you know, what I've heard called oxygen mask theology. Everybody says, you know, if the plane goes, starts to go down, you put your own mask on or you won't be any good to anybody else. And so... Yeah. Is there something, we got a couple, maybe a minute and a half or so left, so I, I know we've just scratched the surface here because I've seen both of your notes. Um, <laughs> but is there, is there one final thing that each of you just wanted to, to say to leave everyone with? Well, I do, if okay. I can. Yeah. Um, having a crazy cool rule or even keeping a rule well isn't the goal. Mm. The goal is intimacy with Christ. Good. And the practices are just a means to an end for that to happen. And then, as, his, as Christ-likeness is formed within, as we do the practices, um, the way that Jesus lives and loves and walks in the world organically becomes more the way that we live and love and act in the world. So that's the goal. Not to that. say, I kept my rule every day. Right. <laughs> right. Good, good. Um. That was a great summary, Lori. I I think I'll just touch on one little point back to the um, not being selfish. And I think about the rest category. I think for some of us, we could think, especially if you're inclined in your personality, your makeup to want to help everyone all the time. And as wonderful as that is, it points to what Lori's saying about if we're not actually taking care of ourselves, that we really can't take care of anyone else. And it's it's not actually selfish that if the Lord's going to use us um, for his work, that we, we have to make points of that. And I think for all of us, that looks different. Sometimes it's it's all the practical things like eating and exercise. And I know for me, I've realized 
over time that how much exercise affects me emotionally. And I used to think it was just something for my physical health, but um, over the past few years, I've realized I feel like I kind of have to do this for my emotional and mental well-being. It's funny, I just don't feel that at all. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Glenn's blessed without having to do that for his emotional and <laughs> yeah. mental health. Yeah. But, um, so I, but I think for some of us, depending on how we're wired, it's hard to jump over that, like, oh, it just feels so selfish. I need to be serving my kids or everyone else. And I used to have that mentality and saw myself sort of sinking lower and lower and thinking, it's okay, I can just sacrifice for everybody else. And it just it wasn't working. And so I just encourage you, if that's something that you struggle with, to, to create those spaces and rhythms in, in your life to do those things that will really take care of, of you. So good. Thank you, ladies. Give them a hand, church. As we prepare our hearts to come to the table, I want you to see again the words of Jesus in John 15, where he says, abide in me, remain in me and I will remain in you. A branch can't produce fruit by itself, but must remain in the vine. Likewise, you can't produce fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, then you will produce much fruit. And without me, you can't do anything. So Paul may have told young Timothy, let your progress be evident to all. Let the fruit be visible Jesus says, but don't ever forget, I am the vine. You're just the branches. Stay connected to me. And I think it's so important that we, that we capture this. I mean, imagine the, the lunacy of, of, of you know, having a, a weekly or monthly or whatever date night with your spouse or whatever, and, and you, you, you arrive at the date night and you're like, yes, what, what's up? We did it. We're out on the date. Okay, but that, but that was just the excuse to actually connect, right? All of this is just an excuse to be connected to the life and love of God. Would you bow your heads this morning?